So a few things I want you guys to know about me, about uh, as a, you know, 29-year-old guy, is that I once was young and I had dreams. And uh, believe it or not, some of those dreams may have been dreams that you may have had or that you're actually, or that you have done in your life. As a Dominican boy, I will be uh, uh, removed of my nationality if I was to tell you that my number one dream was not to become a professional baseball player. I wanted to be the next Big Poppy or the next Alva Pujol. Now, the irony of life is that I did become them. I became big and I became bold like Alva Pujol. Now, number two step that I, on my list of things, number one, professional baseball player. Number two, I wanted to be in the military. Uh, I have family in my, uh, you know, I think about my dad's cousin. He, uh, he's retired now in the Dominican Republic, but he used to be what would be the equivalent of a four-star general for the Dominican Army. So he had the highest rank that you could uh, accomplish in the military. And I got to hear from him stories after story of what it was to serve in a military. And uh, I love that. But in addition to that, my dad's brother, my favorite uncle, he served in the Army here in the U.S., and I got to hear from him as well his, his experience when he went to Panama, when he was training to go to Vietnam, and now, like, the aftermath as a retired Army uh, veteran, what it's like. You know, he ended up serving as a drill sergeant is what he did for the, for the very end. And hearing that about him, I mean, I love the stories. And then in addition to that, I have my cousin who uh, she's a pilot for the Air Force, who I believe she's a captain now for the Air Force. So as you can tell, family that values uh, the military, I, I love that. And I thought to myself that I wanted to be part of the military, but that never happened. Uh, the third thing I wanted to be was I wanted to be a police officer. I thought I respected police officer. I always loved what they did. I thought it was amazing the fact that they would... You know, to use a better word, do not use a better word, but that, that they will go out and defend people and stand their ground and walk into a room and everybody respect them, right? So basically, I wanted to be or be, be Poppy or Albert Pujol or Chief Walsall. It was one of those three peoples I wanted to be, right? Some of you guys know which, uh, Chris, uh, oh man, uh, I just say his name, Westfall. Jeb Westfall. I wanted to be him, basically, if you know his story. So, uh, unfortunately, as you can tell, none of those things happened. I became a pastor, and that was not even on my list of things. But growing up, I always dreamed of being involved, or I watched movies. My, my favorite movies were the movies that involved the military. If you think the one with, uh, uh, oh, man, I guess his name Rome all the time. He's the guy from uh, Die Hard. Yeah, he's that guy. The movie that he made, The Tears of Sun, you guys, some of you have seen it. I love that movie. I love movies that, that you can see, like, like, uh, like uh, The Lone Survivors, movies like that. So for me, a few years ago, to have an opportunity to participate on a training for the FBI SWAT team in New York was a dream come true. I work at a ministry back there that they own a property that is an actual island. And so as a way of training, they decided to to see if the ministry wouldn't mind to offer their facility so that the SWAT team for the FBI in the state of New York uh, will practice and do some drills, uh, some exercise. And so thankfully, the ministry said, go for it. We would love for you guys to participate. But in addition to that, they asked, do you have any people on your staff that would like to be part of the drill as a volunteer? Immediately, I'm ready. I'm like, sign me up. So they go ahead, they invite me over, we come to this facility, 
and there is a guy whose his role was uh, what they will call uh, a game planner or a master plan. He was the individual responsible of setting up the whole uh, game or the whole scenario. He was responsible for what was the purpose, the logistic, who is, what's the goal, what's the target, and all of those little details. That's who he was. So he goes on and he says, I need three volunteers that would like to be the persons responsible for, uh, for the SWAT team to come into this island and, and, and target. If they don't see you, they won't proceed in their attack. They have to spot you and then, we'll, and then they will proceed and attack or storm the island, if you want to call it that way. So obviously I raised my hand. I'm like, I want to be one of those guys. I want to be a leader or whatever this is. I don't even know, but I want to be one of those leaders. The guys are laughing, and I don't really know why, but he looked at me, and he started laughing with a smile on his face, and he said, that's fine. You can be a guy. He goes ahead, takes a picture of me, and sends it to his guys. Well, long story short, hours go by. It's about 4 a.m. It's an island. It's pitch black. They turn off the electricity. We're in this house that they told me to hide, and I fell asleep. I fell asleep waiting. They say, they say, Eric, they're going to come and storm and looking for you. They cannot do anything till they find you. So I kept waiting, waiting, and then I'm falling asleep. It is 4 a.m., and I hear, Eric Gill, it is the FBI. Come help with your hands in the air. And I didn't wake up. I hear, Eric Gill, it is the FBI. Come with your hands in the air. And it took like about three times for me to, to hear it, and I started freaking out. I go outside and I look through the windows and all I see is a bunch of little green dots storming into the building. And I mean, I see movies, so I knew it already that this was a night vision. They're coming in to get me. So I did what any sane person would have done, especially in my size. I went and I hid in a closet. And I hid behind the closet and I went, I kid you not, I went like this. Like I suck in all the air that I could think in that if I did that, there was no way that they will find me. And I hear them in storming to the house. I hear them walking in and everything that is happening. And, 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 like, it was crazy. It was an amazing experience. The guy comes to me. They apprehend me. They're like, are you Eric Gill? And I'm like, no, I'm doing glass. And the guy said a few words that I cannot say to you. Uh, if, and so they take me out. They look at the picture. They confirm it's me. Eventually, they take me out. And the whole drill is over. And people start laughing. The soldier or the, the SWAT team guys start laughing at me. And here's why they were laughing. And here's why the guy was laughing. So here's the scenario. The scenario was that this was an extremist terrorist group. And I was one of the leaders. And the umbrella that they flew under was white supremacists. <laughs> so... They're there to go for white supremacists, and then you have, like, one of the leaders is a brown guy. So I guess <laughs> something happened there. Something bad happened. But I, what really struck out to me and what made me think about this story was what the guy said when he was setting up the whole scenario. He looked at the guys that were volunteers, and he said to them, hey, guys, I want you to know that when they come and I start acting or I start developing and I start proceeding on their actions, they're going to be aggressive. They're not going to hurt you. But they're going to be aggressive. They are going to curse at you. They're going to speak loud to you. They're going to be very affirmative on what they want you to do. Don't, be, don't get offended. Don't get mad. The reason why they're doing that is because they treat, they treat this training as it is the real deal. They needed to be prepared. They needed to act. They needed to be prepared. That it doesn't matter because they, don't, they didn't know when will be the next time they will be, the, will be deployed. So they needed to be prepared for when that time happened. Those guys, even in something as a training like that, they were fully geared. 
They had their nine visions. They had their rifles. They had everything. They were acting as if it was the real deal. So that when they went outside and fought those battles, whenever they can, they will be ready. I think about that story, and I think about the series that we're doing right now about the armor of God. And how Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he's writing to a church that finds himself in the center of the, of the Roman Empire. It's a city that, that, that was, being, that was uh, being effective in their commerce, that they were seeing the, the power of the empire. And it, Paul is running to this church and he's reminding them of the fact that there's not a what if that we're in the battle. That no, we are at war. We are at war. He wanted them to recognize you don't need to think, you don't need to practice to be ready for the what if. The war is already happening. As a result, you better put that armor of God. You better be ready. You have to be ready if, you're, if you want to stand a chance. So join me in Ephesians 6. We're going to read verses 10 to 13. The armor of God, it says this in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, against the cosmic power of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, Stand firm. Paul's warning to these believers is like, hey, you are at war. You are at war. I have never, I am yet to see a movie. I'm yet to see history or to see, even right now, if you go on, on, on social media, if you go on Twitter, if you go on the newspaper, if you watch the news, you think what's happening in, in, in Ukraine and you see the people that are, that are fighting against the Russian uh, army. I am yet to see one of them that is standing their ground that is not wearing some sort of armor or wearing some sort of weapon to be able to stand a chance against this military. They recognize that they are at war. The context of the passage, you have to think, this is important for us to understand as well. Like I said, this is, the Rome, this is a city that was ruled by Rome, uh, by the Romans. Paul is writing the book of Ephesians from an imprisonment under the Roman Empire. He has a soldier that he has been assigned that is a Roman, that is wearing the full armor most likely. These guys, they did not take their armor unless it was a necessity. They kept it up because anywhere they went, they were the odd men out, they were the enemy. This is the picture that Paul is trying for them to understand. That we are at war as Christians, as this church in Ephesus, in, in, in the same way us as believers today, we are at war against this common enemy. And it's just not a regular enemy. It's a big and serious enemy. An enemy that not only attacks our physical, that could attack our physical being, but can become a roadblock for our spiritual walk, that become a hindrance to how we grow in our relationship with God. So the piece of armor that we're going to be concentrating today is going to be on the breastplate of, the, the breastplate of righteousness. I love this piece because obviously... The armor of God has equally value in all the pieces. There's not one piece that is more valuable than other. Paul doesn't make that case, so I'm not going to make that case. Now, if you think about it, though, 
the piece, the breastplate, it is a very essential piece. You saw it, in, you saw the Roman soldiers wear it, but even today you see that our military still wear, wear something similar. You see that our police officers wear something similar because it is a piece of body that protects the most vital organs of your body. It protects your heart, protects your kidney. And I'm not going to go on because I skipped class. Those are the, <laughs> the two that I know. But it's keep, I know for certain that it, it covers the most vital organs. But I want to focus today on one of them, which is the heart. Because the heart is such a key organ. Now, obviously, we, some of us in this room know what, how important the heart is. I should say all of us should know how important the heart is. You know, that's why we work out. That's why we, do, we try to eat healthy sometimes. That's why we, uh, if we go to the doctor uh, and, they, and we have our blood pressure is high, they, do, they prescribe us medicine because we have to make sure that we keep that low so it functions well. So we know the importance of the heart in a physical sense. But in the spiritual sense, the heart is incredibly important. So for us to be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy... We desperately need, it is extremely necessary as believers to wear the breastplate of righteousness so that we can withstand the attacks of the enemy. It's crucial. We can say this about every single part of the, of the whole armor of God. We can reward that phrase for the believer, the, breastplate, the, the whole armor of God is necessary to withstand the ground against the enemy. That's what Paul is trying to get across. But for today, we, I want us just to, to concentrate on the breastplate because of what it does. It covers the heart of men. Now, if you're anything like me, I don't really like to talk about the heart. I'm a man. I'm more like just care over it. I don't really have much of an emotion besides watching sports. And then that's about it. But we have to recognize the importance of the, of the heart. So much so that even the Bible, even, even in the Bible, you can find over 900 references of the heart. And out of that 900, over, over half of those references, I believe there's about 700, it relates to an spiritual sense. And so if that is true, let's look at some of them. Now, like I said, there's so many that we could have spent so much time on them. But I want us to look just at a few of them. Proverbs 4.23 the whitest man in, in, in the history of the world says this, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Protect it. Watch it. Because from it flows, the, flows, flows life. Proverbs 27, 19. As in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects the man. Just like when you stand in front of the water of a puddle and you can see yourself, that's what the heart of man does to you, to who you are. That's how you can find the character of man. That's why David is, called, is someone that is called after God's heart. That even though he sinned, even though he made mistakes, he was willing to recognize who the, struggle, the, 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 the sin that he had committed. And he was willing to do whatever it took to reconcile with God. A man after God's heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, 
Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as men see. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Think of, let that sink in. Matthew 6, 21, I'm talking about treasures and talking about storing up churches here on earth. And, and, and Jesus says, for where, your heart, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What drives you, you will, what the, the, your heart will lead you to what drives you. Where you want to see what is important to you, what is important to your heart, is what drives you. So, it is evident, in, even in those just six verses, how important it is for us to recognize the role of the heart. The heart is what not only drives us, our human life, but also is what drives our spiritual life. It is the heart that directs our desires towards the, 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 the desires of the flesh or our desires of the, of the spirit. It is, this, it is our being that leads us either this way or that way. So why are we not so quick to protect it? If we are at war, if we as humans recognize the importance of protecting our vitals, if you have served in the military or you're currently serving in the military or maybe you're a police officer or you have served a police officer, I know, I'll be surprised if you go out on duty knowing that you may face a perpetrator and you wouldn't put on the armor that you were assigned just in case. Well, there is no need for no for the in case. We know for certainty that we are at war. So why are we not so quick to protect it? Here's a few lies that we tend to believe. And even though we're, making, we're, we're, we're looking at these lies, and there's so many other lies that we can put it here, and these lies are not just to the, righteous, to the breastplate of righteousness. You could apply these lies to any of the ar- parts of the armors. But these are common lies that maybe you have believed, that I have believed, as to why we are so quick at not putting the armors on the, the breastplate of righteousness. Number one, you get to think that you're ready, that you're wiser or more experienced. You get to a point where you're like, man, I don't need to be so careful now because, you know, I struggled with that thing a year ago. I can maybe take one more sip now today. You know, I'm not longer drunk. I don't no longer get drunk. I haven't got drunk in, in over two months. What, what would one more drink do to me? I already figured it out. I'm a different person today. And you start believing those lies. And you know what you do? You take the, the, the plate and you set it on the side. Next slide. I'm safe now, so let me lower my guard. You haven't messed up in such a long time. So you're willing to take away some of those protections that you had that kept you from messing up. That struggle that you have, that sin that keeps recurring in your life, that you have done everything that you can to protect it, you haven't messed up in a season. So now you think to yourself, maybe I can loose up a little bit because I'm safe. Number three... You, you start to think, man, it's not a big deal. What's the big deal? There's worse things out there. Do I really need to be feeling this way? Is that really that important for me to not do this? Number four, one compromise won't make up much of a difference. If I messed up today, it's okay. Still got tomorrow. Could do better again. There's grace. Hey, I, God gave, forgave me of all my sins, past, present, and future. So he knew today that I was going to make these mistakes. So what's the matter? One more time. He already knew he was going to do that. So what would he what would more, want more opportunity to do? Number five, 
I can start again tomorrow. Listen, spiritual warfare, it's not a diet. It's not something that you say, I'm going to put my breastplate on Monday like it was a diet. It is a daily battle that starts today and for every day. You don't get to say, I'm okay today and, or I, I, I will start tomorrow. The call that Paul has given the Ephesians is to start today, to put it right now because you are at war right now. And the last one, which I believe that all lies leads to this, is that I got it. I got it. You get to a point where you get to think that you figured it out, that you know how to withstand the enemy on your own. So whatever safety that you have, whatever thing that you had to keep you from doing that, you put it aside because you think that you have figured it out. So those are the lies that we believe. So why does Paul looks, write this letter to the Ephesians and says to them, you have to put the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? For us to understand that we have to look at the difference between righteousness declared and righteous living. There's, mis, there's division among what Paul meant here. And I'm going to teach you from my perspective what I think is more, um, what, what will flow best with the passage as you read it in a way that is expositorial. And it is that uh, when you look at the idea of, you know, righteousness, righteousness declare and righteous leaving, one is passive and one is active. The one that is passive is righteousness declared. And it is this idea that when you first believe in the message of the gospel, that when you recognize that God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, for my sins, and how three days later he rose from the dead, and you believe in this message, you shall not perish but have everlasting life. And when you believe in this message, you're not longer a sinner. You're not longer, well, you are still a sinner, but you're not longer condemned because of your sin, but you have been forgiven because by his wound, you were healed. Because of what he did for you on the cross, now you have been declared righteousness. His righteousness is your righteousness. It's not on your merits. It's not on my merits. It's not on anything that you and I can do. In fact, we're told in the book of Isaiah that our righteousness, and I shouldn't be doing the quote, our righteousness, in fact, is just as similar as a filthy rag. As a filthy rag. And if you don't know that, ask somebody, because I'm not going to explain it, because you pretty much know how ugly and gross the picture is. That is what our righteousness is. There is none but good but one. There's no one good. None of us in this room can go and be, stand before God and say, this is what I did as to why I'm righteous. This is what I have to bring to the table to declare my righteousness. Righteousness declare happens when you believe on the message of the gospel simply because of what God did through you by Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is what declares you and me righteous. So I don't believe that Paul is saying put on the righteousness of God. Because that has already been done. That is something that happens in a passive way. God has passively, or, or, or passively in our sense, but God has declared you and me righteous because of his son. When you believe in the message of the gospel. There's nothing that you can do that will change that or will alter that or will grant you that. That comes straight from God to us. So what is righteous living? Righteous living... It is to recognize 
that because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it requires you and me to act in a way that is worth it, in a way that is honoring to such sacrifice, that we walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And so you see the same author, Paul, rise to the, to the Romans, and in Romans 12.1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To present yourself holy and acceptable before God. This is a call. This is not a suggestion. This was not a, an encouragement. This was a command. I, 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 I appeal to you. I beg you, brothers, that you will present yourself before God as a living sacrifice, worthy, acceptable before the Lord. And then the same author again in the book of Philippians, he says, Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says worked out, not work for it. It's not work for your salvation. It's not that like we cover it. There's nothing that you can do that can give you the merit of salvation, but worked out your salvation. Work because of what you have received. Use it in a way that brings honor and glory to God. Here's what I believe Paul is saying when he's talking about the breastplate of righteousness. I believe that what he's saying is that as followers of Jesus, we have to make a commitment and a, and a, a covenant, call it a covenant, call it a commitment, call it a, a, a devotion of no matter what, do whatever it takes to bring glory and honor to God. That the piece, the piece of armor that I'm going to put on today, what I'm going to choose today to wear is to be devoted in the way that I honor God by, by, by living in a way that is righteous. Because think about this in a practical sense. When you decide today that no matter what comes your way, no matter what Satan throws at you, no matter, and here's the other thing about the armor, the, the Roman armor. The Roman armor did not just cover the front, it also covered the back. So when you were not looking, you will still be protected in your back. In the same way, whether you're expecting it or not, the attacks of Satan, who we know is going around like a lion prying around or looking to who devour. We know that about Satan. We know that about the enemy. It doesn't matter what he throws our way. We can withstand the attacks of the devil because we have devoted ourselves to live in a way that is holy and acceptable to God. Not by our own strength, because that will be impossible, but because we are putting the righteousness of God that has been given to you and me by the blood of Jesus and when he died on the cross and by the fact that he rose from the dead three days later. That the fact that you and I are no longer slaves to sin, that the fact that you and I don't have to choose sin, we are able to choose today to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. So when you're at your home by yourself, your wife, your kids are all gone, and you're on your TV or on your smartphone, and you see something that's going to trigger you to go watch porn, you can say no to that because you're not longer a slave to that. You can put on that righteousness because you decided that morning, that day, that it don't matter what devil throws your way, you're going to withstand that attack because you're going to commit yourself to live in a way that is honoring and that brings honor and glory to God. Living as a living sacrifice. There's nothing harder than a living sacrifice. Have you ever, I mean, go to Duma meets and find it out. How hard it is to kill a pig that is alive. 
But that's our call, to, the, to, shoot, to, to willingly decide to give ourselves to God as a, in a way that brings honor and glory to God. So I believe that when Paul is saying to the Ephesians here is, you want to withstand the, 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 the attacks of the devil? We are at war. The, the heart is so important, it's so crucial because it can lead you in a path that where you're going to be, where you can give in to your uh, desires of the flesh or it can lead you in a way where you're going to produce the fruit of the spirit. Because that is so crucial, why don't we defend it? Why don't we commit ourselves to decide today and every day of our life to no matter what happens, I'm going to choose righteous living. Why don't we do that? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a time to discuss three questions. And you guys got, and here's what I'm going to ask. So I was reading this book, we're, we're, and some of you have read it if you're part of the connect group here at the church. It's called community, Life in Community. And uh, I'm, ba- I'm late on the bag wag- on the wagon, however you, that phrase goes. Sorry. Ah, language barrier. Uh, I'm late on that, whatever. But there's a, fr- there's a portion there where he's calling out the man that really struck me. I, I get to lead discussions uh, or as a, as a, as a group, group leader or as a connect group leader. And I always, see, tend, I always see this. Before the discussion starts, the guys, we, we talk. And it's often centered on sports. It's often centered on work. Or it's often centered on some of our hobbies. That's typically how the conversation is. And we have no problem sharing. But the moment it's time to talk about God, no one wants to talk. Their wives are the ones that talk. And I'm there sitting waiting, hoping that they will say something. But the reality is most of the time, the, the guys don't say anything. And in the book, the author is calling us out and saying, it is time for us to stop hiding behind the shadows of our wives when it comes to our spiritual life. As men, we should be the leaders in that way. So I say this to encourage you to be vulnerable because of the questions that we're going to be covering. Be vulnerable with each other so that as you're sharing. Because you don't know if someone in your table may be dealing with something that you have dealt. And by you sharing your experience, what you have dealt, maybe is an encouragement to that individual. As a way to recognize that you can, through the help of God, withstand the attack of the devil. So, question number one. What are some lies that you have believed that keeps you from putting the whole armor of God? What are some things in your past that you have believed that have kept you from putting the whole armor of God? Why is it easier to be protective of our physical life and not so much of our spiritual life? We have no problem, most of us, I do, going to the gym or eating healthy or, or taking medicine if you have a heart problem condition. We have no problem in making sure that our heart is rhythm is going the way that it's supposed to go. We have no problem doing that. But why is it that when it comes to our spiritual life, we're so lazy sometimes, we're so lenient, we're so careless when it comes to protecting it? And then the last one, what does it take if you're currently doing it or what will it take if you're not currently doing to live, in a, to live a life that brings honor and glory to God? So you guys can go ahead and discuss it. All right, guys, we're going to hope you had a... Uh, some great discussions on your table about the whole armor of God, but today specifically about the breastplate of righteousness. You know, as we have covered, if it is true that we are at war, not that, not that we're going to be at war, but that we're currently facing an enemy, 
that it's looking to hurt us, that it's looking to hinder our growth in our relationship with God. If it is true that the, who we are facing is not just a common enemy or a simple enemy, but it is Satan himself, if that is true that we're experiencing spiritual warfare, warfare, and the heart is such a crucial thing, why are we not so quick to protect it? If you're here today, and you have been like I have in the past, and I come on, I'll be transparent, where I leave my house in a figuratively and even literally sense, where I take the armor of God and put, put it on the side thinking that I figure it out or thinking that I could go on, this, on, on my day by my own strength and come to fail. If you have made that mistake, then why are we not more quick to protect such a vital part of our righteous or of our spiritual life? If to protect our heart means to commit ourselves, to devote ourselves to righteous living, what are we waiting? A few questions for you to think about. How much suffering do you have to endure? How much hurt do you have to endure till it is time for you to recognize that you need to protect your heart? How much suffering and hurt does your family need to endure for you to recognize the severity of protecting your heart. And how much does your testimony of who God is or what he has done for you and me, how much does your testimony need to suffer till you recognize the importance of protecting your heart? My prayer for you and for me is that we will have the same attitude as Paul where he writes to the Philippians and he say, even though I myself have not fully achieved this, it is my goal to keep pushing towards that goal, which is to stand firm in the Lord. May we live today and then live every single day of our life in such a way that it is pleasing and honoring to God. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm going to pray, and then I don't know if Bruce will come up or they're dismissed, or you guys will be dismissed. Uh, thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, Lord. Thank you for the reminder that, uh, that you give us through your word that we are at war, that we are not facing a strong and capable enemy, and Lord, and how we desperately need to recognize that we need to put in the whole armor so that we can stand, withstand his attack. I pray, Lord, that we, will be, that we will choose today and every day of our life to live in a way that is holy and acceptable to you, Lord, that we will walk worthy of that gospel message of the sacrifice that you made on the cross through your son Jesus, Lord, that we will recognize what he did and walk in such a way that is worthy of it, Lord. I pray that uh, we will not be hesitant, that we not believe any lies, and that we will not get comfortable, Lord, but that we will be determined to live holy every single day of our life, Lord. We pray this. We know that we can only do this through you, Lord, and we pray that you will give us the strength that we need to be able to withstand the devil. Pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.